0: This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and we have a special episode today. I have my good friend Stephanie Zephyrana and her husband, Paul, on, and they're from PICA Marketing Group, and we're going to talk about marketing post-COVID pandemic and what they're doing now to serve their clients. So, Stephanie, Paul, welcome to your episode. Thanks
1: for having us. Wow,
2: thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well,
0: (laughs) tell us a little bit about PICA Marketing Group and who you serve.
2: Psycho Marketing Group actually was conceived, if you can imagine, in 2008. There isn't a better time to start a company. And we learned a lot of lessons starting in such a crazy environment, but we really incorporated because we saw the need that not only were our clients and people in the marketing community looking for innovative marketing ideas, but they were looking for hard-numbered returns. Their board of directors and all of the people that they report to for real numbers. No longer was it okay to throw money at marketing and sales department without any actual results. And so that actually is why we call it PICA Marketing Group because PICA is a unit of measurement. And so it plays well to our audience. We really work on serving nonprofit organizations, healthcare, and then manufacturing. Those are the vertical markets that we really serve the best. And we engage in a couple of different ways. We have some really large clients where we're able to plug into their already established marketing department and be that outside voice, that different perspective to help them accomplish a particular project. And then we plug into some of those smaller organizations that maybe just have a person that's office manager slash marketing director. And we really become the marketing department for them, offering ideas, working with them, collaborating to get their message out, but really doing that heavy lifting. And it seems to work well for our clients. And the great part is we find ourselves dealing with all sides of projects. Nothing's too big and nothing's too small. So the more creative, the more fun we all tend to have. But in the end, really is about results. And so we like to start the conversation with what are you trying to accomplish and work from there.
0: Well, excellent. So it's been an interesting time. This is in May of 2020, and we're just now starting to come out of some of the quarantine and restrictive movement events post-COVID And so a lot of the companies, their world changed. And so what are your thoughts on these companies on what they should be thinking about as far as marketing and spending money and both from their customer's perspective and also how to keep their employees safe?
1: So one of the biggest things, this is Paul, one of the biggest things that some folks may or may not realize is back in the late 80s, early 90s, when there was another recession that happened. A big player came out of that. That was Cliff Bars, those energy bars that everybody has right now. They were a big player in that. And they did the time to spend on marketing and advertising is exactly in these times because people tend to remember those brands that are out there that are there for them, that's on a personal level, and that they were there for them during this whole time. So that's been a huge part of it. And you want folks to remember your brand in a very positive light. You're in a unique position right now to make people feel that you're in the same shoes that they're in, that you're going through what they're going through, that you can relate to them. You want to be relatable. You want to build that trust with folks right now. Things that people tend to not do is hold back on their marketing. What they tend to do right now is hold back on their marketing when they should actually be spending it. We're in the process of developing our own marketing plan going forward. It's different than what it's been in the past. But we're figuring out ways to get that message out to folks that are in their home environment where we may not have their home addresses now that we used to have their corporate addresses. So we're trying to gather that data and information to give them a unique experience going forward. So that's some of the stuff that we're seeing out there and also trying to get the message out about what it means to operate in the current state of things, right? Employee engagement and Safety concerns and how do you plan to reopen? Because we have to you have to have a plan. It's that old saying failure to plan is planning to fail. You gotta have a plan. If you don't have something written down and follow the plan, then you're gonna have a hard time out there. And that's probably one of the big backbones or keys that we as a small business utilize is is having that plan and writing it down and following it because if you keep following it, it'll happen. That roadmap that you lay out there will get you to the finish line out there.
0: I think about general level of concern and uncertainty. So let's say that you're a business owner with a larger employee base. And the employees, as I understand it from some of the business brokers that I've talked to, that many of the employees are reluctant to come back to work. Either it's an economic reason or it's they're afraid. So from the business owner that says, not only do I need to take communicate effectively with my client base, But I also need to be not tone deaf with my employees and communicate. So what type of things might you do on behalf of the business owner to communicate that to the employees?
1: We're in the age of transparency, right? You've got to be very open and letting folks know what's going on. You as a business owner are going to have concerns, similar concerns to them coming back and working in your location, whatever that's going to be. Getting that message out there, the marketing message that you need to have from as a business owner, we firmly believe that you tell people that message till you're blue in the face. And it's at that moment that they're just starting to get that message. So the repetition over and over to tell them what's going to happen. Hey, we're planning on doing this. The state may say that our shelter in place order is going to expire on XYZ date. Our plan is to move forward with this date and this is how we're going to do it laying that plan out for them is going to be very, very helpful to over-communicate at that point to your employees, but also letting them know that, hey, we understand that you may have concerns for your health and wellness when you come back. Here's what we've put in place for you to do that. We have put together sanitization stations, maybe it's some directional signage on where to park, hand-washing signage that goes out there. We have done for some local businesses here enter and exit signs that are giant 12 flags that fly in the wind for those driving up. Even the, we call the social distancing dots that go on the ground, stand here, don't sit here, limiting the number of people in an elevator, but communicating that out there what they should expect when they come back. And maybe they're spaced out or they're different working days, they're going to be in the office or out of the office. So as folks have transitioned to working from home some of those folks are still going to be working at home and you've got to make them still feel comfortable that they're part of the team. And maybe part of that is in your marketing message, for those that are coming into work, you've laid out these plans, you have masks and sanitizers and whatnot, but those that are working at home, that may be a branded backdrop or depending on how crazy you want to get with it, maybe it's a baseball cap right? The baseball cap that they wear to let everybody deal with their quarantine hair that they're all having right now. It's a very real thing that's happening. I'm due for a haircut myself. But having that ability to over-communicate to folks and let them know that the business does have their best interests in mind, as well as their customers that are coming into their shops. And how do you do that through promotional products, whether it's a pen, a notepad, Whatever that is, those are just tools. They're no different than radio, than TV, than online ads, any of that stuff. They're all tools, right? And as a good chef, you don't want to have just to rely on your paring knife to prepare a gourmet meal. You have an arsenal of tools that you use to make that meal through your pots and pans and selection of having a good team put together to get your vegetables and your meats and your wines and whatnot to, to prepare that good meal having a business is, is from us from a marketing standpoint, no different. Having that group all pulled together to lean on that you're going to do the cleanings X number of times a day, and here's where you can go to get more information on that is going to be a very vital part of the communication process. And you can use promotional marketing to do exactly that and get that message out there. And that's where we as the experts out there In the promotional world have seen a lot of benefits because we're seeing not only what's happening in possibly your industry, but we're seeing stuff from across the board because we touch on so many different industries. We specialize in a certain number of industries, but are through our networks are seeing how the manufacturing industry is doing things differently than the financial industry that's doing things differently than the restaurant industry. They're all vital parts of the economy to be up and running. But they're all going to approach that messaging ever so slightly different and how they're going to handle that workforce coming back from the small place that has two, three, four people to the folks that have 30,000.
0: As I think about taking care of the employees, how do you take in and communicate the care that you reflect in your behavior for your employees, and then how do you take and share that message with your customers to let them know that we care for our employees like we care for you, our customers? How would you see that working in concert?
1: I think you can utilize a lot of the other mediums out there too. We are part of one cog in that wheel, and. Through offering, if maybe you want a restaurant, right? To give you an idea on it, you want to communicate out a way to utilize a promotional product is maybe that, and I'm going to use a baseball cap. I don't know why I keep going back to it, but maybe if you had that and folks were coming up or driving up and they were wearing that cap of your business, you offer them a discount on their order. You offer them some other stuff that goes along with it. That's a way you could use it as a promotional piece. You can use different printed handouts to put in your, maybe it's a DoorDash or a Grubhub or whatnot, every order that goes out. So as folks are getting some of those meals, it could be as simple as a sticker, right? You get the package that you don't know. You'd like to think people are honest out there and give them the benefit of the doubt. The bag that you put the food in, maybe it's got the branded label that goes on there that carries out that, hey, this thing was packed with tender loving care with your health in mind as a consumer as ways to give people some confidence in what you're doing because now you're going through a whole different world in the food industry of somebody else bringing your food to you that you don't know. So you've got to instill that trust. I think trust is going to be a big thing coming out of all this from a consumer standpoint and working with brands that they trust and the different little nuances that you're putting into it where you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money doing it, but it's the thought behind it and how do you instill that trust that you're able to deliver on what you promise.
0: You know, Paul, as as you were talking, I was thinking, we've been talking about your clients and their employees and the things that they're doing to address the changes. With their changes and so on, you guys have had to also pivot with what you're doing and how you operate your business. What does a pivot look like for your business?
1: Well, a major pivot for us happened... Happened. Our yeah. Yeah, it happened, and what's the saying by Deepak Chopra? All great changes are preceded by chaos. That's what we had to go through. We, our industry, pivoted from doing all the bags and the pens and other pieces that we're affectionately known for, and a lot of our factories, because of our relationships that we had, had already pivoted into making non-surgical masks. So those three-layer masks that everybody you're seeing out there wearing we pivoted those factories back in January and February when this was happening overseas. The factories were already pivoting, and it was just starting to make its wave over here. So a bag manufacturer that once used to make those, what we call the non-woven or reusable bags, the polypropylene ones, had converted to making the masks for consumer grade. That was a huge pivot the sanitizer, right? All the, you used to get branded sanitizer. There was one of your brand on there and you had a little toggle that went onto your briefcase and you'd go to a trade show and you'd walk out of there with five or six different branded sanitizers from somebody, a little spritzer and you kind of, you threw them in your car and never thought about them again. Well, as that stuff pivoted, about three days into it, I was calling one of our plants up and asking them a question about some other stuff because we said, you know, what sanitizers out there, that's a whole other animal out there they sold out within 72 hours, eight months worth of inventory and another million and a half bottles of sanitizer. So you had to pivot and find out that you're having those conversations with folks like, hey, you need sanitizer. Well, where are we at? How do we get this? How do we bring it in? And we were talking to distilleries to get it in and how to bottle it for us and private label it in that respect. So you had to leverage a lot of your relationships We had a mutual friend that actually introduced Stephanie and myself, helped us pivot. They were an ink manufacturing company, and they had the ability to manufacture hand sanitizer. They were deemed essential during all this, and we started talking to them and said, hey, what can you do? And, And they said, we've got the raw materials here. We can start making sanitizer for you. So we started doing, I think it was 500 gallons of sanitizer in bulk that we sold out. So there was having those connections to be able to pivot in that respect and having those relationships really, really helped for us to pivot from all the our usual factories that had the bags and the other sanitizers. So we had to go and really utilize our resources on it. We pivoted from that. And we also had to pivot as we're talking about all the PPE stuff in there. Everybody was now going, hey, guess what? You're going to work from home now. And we had to figure a way out of going, how do we get stuff out there? Because people were being told within 24 hours, basically pack your stuff up, It's like you're being escorted off the job, pack your stuff up, you're working from home, whatever you're going to need, because you're not coming back into the building until we don't know when. So it's stressful. It's very, very stressful, right? It doesn't matter who you are, but you're being told now that this, where you were at, what was home for you, now it just got uprooted and you had to go work from your house with your family and maybe you got kids and a pet and all that stuff. And you had to really figure out what that meant. So we had a pivot from dealing with, like I said, we talked sent send stuff over to folks in their offices. We now had to have the corporate standpoint of how do you now make the employees feel comfortable at home? How do you make them feel that they're still part of the team? Because it's a paradigm shift for a lot of folks that weren't used to ever working from home. They were used to having that one-on-one around the water cooler stuff and not having those collisions that would happen in the office. You go to the water cooler, you grab a lunch or whatever. We had to help pivot with that. and We were talking with folks on branded mouse pads and webcam covers and headphones and web cameras. Well, how do you get that out to everybody? And how do you get that message out? So creating letters and inserts that would go through into those packages to let the employees know that yes, they were indeed valued. Right. We pivoted on that way on going and creating these work at home kits. We also, Stephanie did some selfie work with some of the local schools. We happened to be affected with our son with from a graduation standpoint, and we had a pivot on coming up with graduation kits. And what did that mean for the school on they're going to graduate? And how do you keep them engaged from the yard signs that they were doing to mailing stuff out to each one of the kids and letting them feel whether it was a pennant or socks and the spirit wear that the schools were using? We had to get creative. You had to dig deep. Um, You had to move
0: pretty quickly too.
1: Oh, yeah. There was a lot of (laughs) four-hour nights of sleep. And if you want to call it sleep, yeah, you had to get creative with it. As these things kind of came out, I found, you know, working from the home office, I slept in my office here, you know, on the couch, because I was up putting stuff together for hours on end. And you go down that rabbit hole and you're like, oh, we got this stuff pulled together. Isn't this really cool? And let's do this. And you're kind of feeling like a mad scientist pulling all this stuff together and trying to show folks that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a way to get this message out there. And we had to think about different ways to get that message out to one, whether it was a school, so let the students feel included. Because their lives got disrupted and their parents' lives got disrupted, those that were graduating, how do we get them involved? And then you had all the other nuances that were happening for the work-at-home folks. So you had to do all sorts of different things at once to pivot, and that's what we had to do. When we had, you look at our social media stuff, we put together different kits like that during that time. So if you go on my LinkedIn profile, or if you go on our corporate. Facebook page, you'll see the fruits of those labors out there on ways that we were trying to get out there and really show folks a different way of thinking instead of going, well, we throw our hands up in the air, we're good. They'll be fine. Well, people didn't want to feel like they lived or worked in these silos and were disconnected. You know, everybody wants to feel loved and connected. We had to think about it from a corporate standpoint and what that meant from a promotional marketing standpoint to keep folks to feel the love, right? You want to, you know, we used to joke with the boys that they ever fought, we had an oversized t-shirt and said we put them both in one t-shirt and would say, hug it out on the front of it. So there's all sorts of ways to do that.
0: I think about that. I talk about all the instances and examples for many of the folks that listen in. You know, they're going like, well, how about some examples? And you and I and Stephanie, we were all talking about some of the things that you guys have done that maybe will stimulate a thought process for some of the folks. We talked about cloud service, something to do with pizza, and something to do with plumbing. So if we could, why don't we work our way through those examples, and maybe we can paint a mental image for some of the listeners about how you guys can help them approach an effort.
1: Oh, I love a good story. Perfect. <laughs> story, story. Stories help. <laughs> yeah, you know, some folks see stuff, and like I said, they see a pen, they see a mug, they see a T-shirt or a hat, Our job is to help them think about it differently. What does that mean to you? We can help plug and play from a marketing budget standpoint or a marketing team standpoint. From a small budget, a couple hundred dollars up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we've done programs at both ends of that spectrum and anything in between. I'll give you examples of all three. We did a pizza one, right? One of our sales reps did a pizza piece. And this one was designed to go after a small number of companies. And instead of coming up with this very elaborate marketing campaign, we kept it very simple. And because they were a small company and they had limited resources to go out and acquire the business, it was for 12 marketing directors. We sell marketing. This was going to marketing directors. How do you get in front of them, right? You had to be unique with it. So what we came up with was we did a custom branded pizza box that had a slice of marketing and whatnot. And then we did a graphic inside that simulated the ROI and whatnot on pizza. But taped down inside of it is we did a pizza cutter that was personalized to the recipient. So Bob, you would have had your pizza box that had your name on the pizza cutter. And what would happen after that is we contracted with the local pizza delivery guy. We gave them the box. We gave them the order to deliver a cheese pizza or cheese or pepperoni pizza. It was a cheese pizza so that folks could have that. And that was delivered at 11 a.m. to each one of the recipients, one every day. So it wasn't a big time suck out of your day to go, well, I got to do all these sales follow-up calls, da-da-da-da. You had to make one call. So at 11 o'clock, the pizza would get delivered. The person that was a recipient would go, what do you mean I got a pizza that got delivered to me? And our contact or the customer's contact information was inside of there. And they had this cheese pizza. It was different. It was unique. It was a way to get involved and engaged. And what happened with that is it went on for 12 days. Again, one a day. Not a crazy budget piece to do. Not a crazy whole lot of follow-up to do. But it worked. It got a 100% response rate and generated over $27,000 in new business off of just that little bit. From an annual standpoint, that netted the first year over $100,000 in sales.
0: For the recipient, 12 days in a row, you got a pizza. And 12 different recipients. Okay, so there was a pizza to a recipient each time.
1: Yeah, right. Because so I was it,
0: thinking, like, holy well, no, shit, I'm going to gonna, I'm so gonna be know. this big by the time I get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm going to the conference room <laughs> there. Um, No, we targeted 12 different marketing directors and each marketing director got a pizza so that the salesperson could go in and make that call, make that follow up, make whatever needed to happen with it. So it was a 12 different person pizza experience.
0: In your mind, what was the most memorable comment that was made by one of the people that received the pizza?
1: It was unexpected. It was unexpected and it was unique. That was probably the biggest thing out of it. And when they called them up and they said, you know, why'd you take my call? They said, nobody's ever done anything like that before. It was unique versus just calling them up on the phone. We got their attention. We got it in a unique way and you didn't have to spend a ton of money to do it. So you had that. That was the pizza one. Another one that was for a larger program. We tend to do a lot with the trade show world and driving traffic into trade shows and trade show booths and getting a big bank for our customers and clients. I had one of our clients call us up and came to me and said, look, I've got a $50,000 budget for a trade show. We're expecting 50,000 people at this trade show. I need fifty thousand dollars items. Well, most people were like, yeah, no problem, I'll get you 50,000 pens, whatever. On the phone, I said, I don't want the business. He goes, what do you mean you don't want the business? I said, well, is that the best use of your time and best use of your money? Because let's face it, your CMO is looking for a return on investment. If I'm spending $50,000 on marketing for the trade show, I already have the sunk cost of the trade show. I've got staff. I've got this. I've got that. I don't want them sitting around my booth. And I don't want a lot of stuff left over. I need an ROI on it. So he looked at me and kind of chuckled. He goes, "Most people won't do that. They won't tell me no. They don't want the order." I said, "Well, I'm telling you no. Let's think about your budget. What are you trying to accomplish out of all this?" He laughed and he goes, "Well, what do you what do you propose?" I said, "All right, here's my thoughts on it. So we did a three point email touch campaign prior to the event. We did a direct mail piece, and you're gonna laugh at this. It was a pen." We paired back their mailing list and got a hold of the show, found out by looking at the list what the job titles were that were going to be there for the registrants, had a good idea who was going to be there. And instead of going out to 50,000 people, we revamped the target on it and said, you know what, let's go out to 2,500 people. He goes, okay, now we're talking. So I'm going to do 2,500, $20 items that I'm going to send out. I said, no, why wouldn't we do that? I said, well, because you're going to get a response rate on that. And for those that don't know, an average direct mail response rate on stuff is 1% to 3%. So any of the coupon books or any of the stuff that you send out in the mail, it gets stacked up and it has a 1% to 3% response rate on it. 3% being you hit it out of the park with a direct mail piece. We did this one that was considered a lumpy mail. And lumpy mail doesn't typically sit on somebody's desk for any period of time. Why? Because you can't keep piling stuff up on it. And you generally take notice of it more and you look at it and you check all this stuff out. You're like, wow, this is a little bit different. And having a call to action. So when this was all said and done, the reason we came down to 2,500 is we said, all right, let's just go off of normal metrics on 3% on what that's going to be from a direct mail piece because he didn't want to go any higher than that. And I'll tell you where we ended up with when it was all said and done. And we do, maybe it's a 100 people are going to come by the booth. They had a staff of eight for the booth. And as we got talking about it, I had to tell them basically that if you have eight people at the booth and you're there for two eight hour days of the show, how much time are you going to spend with these people ideally at your booth? You're going to spend X number of time, X amount of minutes with them. And what did that equate out to and how it was with their original request of a, a virtual impossibility that you could meet with as many people as you wanted to, because you weren't staffed up for it. So kind of talking them through that to give them a better idea of who was going to be there and who we wanted to target. We ended up having with that, I think it was around 450 people redeemed, give or take 10 people in there out of 2,500. So the whole thing was you got this pen in the mail, you came by the booth, and you showed them we had the call to action built into the mailer that was with the pen, but you had to bring the pen to the booth. And you would have a conversation with folks. and After you kind of went through your sales pitch with them, you were granted or given, rewarded for your time, an OGO backpack, $70 backpack. So it was a nice thank you. And we had stuff for what we call the tire kickers, those that just kind of came up and didn't want to do the conversation. And they had their flashlights and their other little stuff that was the tire kickers that came by the booth, or as we affectionately like to call them the scoopers. They come by your booth, see what you got, and fill their bag up and move on. We wanted to have those meaningful conversations. So once we figured that out and they did about 450 people that had gone through and redeemed, they now had 450 qualified leads. So we said, that's fantastic. What are you going to do for post-show and what do you want to follow up with? They hadn't gotten on board with that and they omitted that was part of the step, but they didn't want to do it, which is okay. It was a budgetary thing. But I said, what I want you to do with those numbers when we started this is I want you to track the people that come out of the trade show that we've talked to you about. So you've taken this 50,000 people funnel down to 2,500, down to 450. That 450 are active hand raisers. They're actively engaged with your brand and want to know more about it. I want to know what happens with those 450 that you have. I want you to track unique sales that come out of that because all these folks that were coming in out of that were unique to them. After nine months worth of sales, when they tracked it all back, because we did this at two different shows, it netted them 42 and $44 million in sales. Well, that's
0: so, almost as good as 50,000 pins.
1: Almost. Not bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we've done stuff like that. we mimicked that same program with we did, we found out through another set of details that we kind of ran the names against from some of our lists that we scrubbed against that we had a group that had a really strong military background. And we did a similar program to that. But instead of a pen, we used a military challenge coin in a similar fashion, and netted them a very similar result to that. So using that from a direct mail standpoint, that was a lumpy piece that was targeted, call to action, and laying out a plan, rethinking their budget and how they were going to approach it really changed their mind on it. They've been clients of ours now for five years and they keep like, it worked. Let's do it again. It worked. Let's do it again. And we tweak it and change it up and change the offer up. And given the current state of affairs right now, we're going to end up changing it all up again because we're in a whole new way to approach all this.
0: I think about that. So one of those two clients, right, that had this benefit from a trade show and you go, Paul, Stephanie, I got a problem. You know, what's that? Well, I can't have my trade show, but I still need to do a trade show. So given targeted marketing, you know, 50,000 people coming through, not all 50 are your client. So how would you imagine that you would pivot this type of offering to try to approximate the same result that you had? What would you do?
1: Funny you should ask, because that's exactly what's happening right now. (laughs) Cool. Well, let me think. (laughs) So we're having those conversations. Folks are planning out for October, November trade shows. And we have to think about it differently. We're having the conversation of, in the planning portion, you have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. How do each one of those play out? We're talking more on the strategy side of this stuff now than we ever have in the past. Because the trade shows are going to be different. They're going to be different from the standpoint of whether or not they're going to happen. What are they going to look like? How much of them are going to be in person? And there's going to be a unique opportunity going forward that if we are able to meet in person, we have to be able to pivot that way to get folks to meet with you when they come out there and how are they going to feel when they come meet with you at the booth and after the show and all the usual stuff that happened with the trade show. You have to pivot that way and plan that way out. You have to plan that if whatever state you're in, your state shuts down again for whatever reason. We don't know what's going to happen, what the future holds. And your state shuts down, my state's open, and the location or venue state has restrictions. What does that mean? And how do you get ready to pivot with that? Because there's going to be a what we call a go, no-go date, that you have to be able to move around. And how are you going to host through, maybe it's an online trade show, which are becoming increasingly popular. I've been through a couple already for our industry because it's it's been a pretty prevalent shift in our industry with all these private meeting rooms and the whole trade show experience. But we're able to help folks help put these on now and look at them differently. So that mailing list of folks that are registered for that trade show Now, if they're not able to meet in person, how do we host that trade show going forward? Do we do a kit that goes out to them and have those one-on-one meetings with them and mail that kit out to them at their house and keep them engaged and still do a similar thing where you pair back and scrub your list on who those people are that you want to talk to? Yes. We just have to think about it a little bit differently. And our company is able to do that and pivot from that standpoint on how we can help you do that. Folks, like there's an ongoing movement with cause marketing, right? Folks want to know where their money is going to. Maybe it's something that you may not outright want to give your money to whatever organization it is, but you find out that by buying that water tumbler or the trade show handout piece, that a certain portion of those proceeds go to helping wounded warriors, or veterans or the environment, whatever your cause that you want to support, you know, that part of your proceeds are going to do more than just you've bought this mug, you bought this bottle, you bought this piece to hand out for it, but there's a story behind it. So I think the storytelling is going to become a vital part of that trade show experience to tie back in that folks can go out and see the video of, Hey, over the last little bit. Cause nobody wants to be the first one through the door cause you get a bloody nose but see what other people have learned by doing it and the results that they're getting out of it. And how do you host that going forward? Because that's what's
0: gonna happen. We have to be able to adapt to it and think about what that's gonna mean. We were talking a little bit before, I saw a fundraiser that we were talking about this we for a nonprofit and they did a talent that was doing a country music singer and they had some local hosts and they had the whole fundraiser and it was all virtual. And it was much like, I think the one that was on TV not that long ago with all the artists that came on to do fundraising for the frontline support folks and that technology. And we all are now zoom warriors, I suppose, you know, <laughs> whether we want to be or not. And I think about the sophistication of the breakout rooms and how do you do, deliver value? And if we've all kind of been doing Zoom for a while, the new is kind of worn off on Zoom. That's like a hammer. It's, you know, just another tool. For the folks out there, you and I were talking a little bit about a cloud example.
1: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I forgot about that one. That one was we had two weeks to turn that program around. Similar type of scenario. They wanted to target. They were in the cloud-based computing arena, right? They sold software. And they were targeting the restaurant industry to sell them their software. And they came to us and said, they have a $10,000 budget. They wanted to spend $100 per person to get them to talk to them. And part of the conversation that happens on all this stuff is, We don't want to just throw stuff out there and we want to talk more tactics. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to, why are you trying to do it? What's going to be the result out of it? Because again, that ROI that we've talked about, people are being held accountable for that. So they came to us with a budget and we said, all right, you've got hundred dollars per person. They said, what do you have? What can you come up with? I said, well, how many people are you hoping to get out of this? And if you do, what's it worth to you? They came back and said, out of this $10,000 budget, if we can get one person that we've made our goal. 1%, one person they wanted out of this whole thing because that one person was worth $250,000 to them.
2: I'd like to add on that, on this particular one, they were um, targeting C-suite employees. So it was very, very high level, um, EOs and uh, presidents of major, you know, food organizations, like you said, restaurants. And so to get their attention, everybody wants a piece of their attention. So it's incredibly difficult to get their attention, and so um, I think that that also is part of the magic of what we came up with. So I'll let you continue.
1: Oh, that's okay. <laughs> so we came up with this box that was oh roughly 18 inches wide by six inches by about two inches deep, and we called it the cloud box. And inside of this box, we did we detailed out. Um, all the key players, we had their imagery printed on the inside of it, the inside cover. we did a letter with the invitation affixed to the cover of it. but everything else on the inside of it, for the guts of it, was all clouds and cloud-based. We had an umbrella that had clouds on the bottom side of it. We had a plush stress cloud. We did a weather station that went in there. We did a power bank when power banks were just starting in the market, and we did a custom cloud-shaped cookie. Right? And we kind of talked about all the stuff in the messaging that was inside of the box. And the outside of the box was a blue box. It had, there was no branding on it from a corporate standpoint. So they got this bright blue box with white clouds on it and basically said cloud box. Well, you have no idea who it's from. It looks inviting. You get it. And they opened it up. Well, the results of that with the call to action and the meetings that they had on it, was, remember, I told you they'd be happy with one person to sign up based off of this. They had six. They were elated that it happened.
0: Did, did so, you get any feedback from the recipients of the boxes? Did you hear any of the feedback?
1: We that? didn't. No, unfortunately, we didn't. We were looking for the results on, on what it was oh, and, sure. and what got them to engage with it. But they were more than happy with that because their expectation was
0: to get one. So, I've been the recipient. Some of the vernacular I know is shock and awe is what one guy called okay. it, says so you want to come in and you go, what is this? And you open it up and you're genuinely surprised. And you're right, it's on your desk and you go, what well, am I supposed to do with this? It's effective, it's different, particularly if it's targeted. And what I really appreciate from this conversation is you're looking at the budget and the return on investment from the budget. It's not this touchy-feely, I've got a banner, I've got this mailer that who knows what it did. Or So I think that's really something that I appreciate as a business owner. And before I get too far down the road and forget to ask, for the folks that are listening and going like, that sounds like the solution to my problem, how do they find you guys on social media?
1: Well, we are on LinkedIn. You can find Myself or Stephanie, Paul Zafarana on LinkedIn or Stephanie Zafrana on LinkedIn.
0: That's C-A-F-A-R-A-N-A, right? Yep. yep. Okay.
1: Just like banana. Yep. <laughs> We're on Twitter at Piker Marketing. We're on LinkedIn at Pika Marketing, whatever social medias we have, Facebook, Facebook, Piker Marketing Group. We're just trying to keep up with all the uh, different social medias out there. If they want to find us on the web, it's pica marketinggroup.com, P-I-C-A, marketing com. There's two Gs next to each other in there. We didn't get fancy with that.
0: And you can uh, find some of the things that you were talking about, some of the boxes and examples. That's on your Our Work drop-down menu, so you can literally take a look at some of these things that you guys have done.
1: Oh, yeah. If you can see on there, too, uh, we've won a number of awards. So it's not just us saying that this stuff works. Over the course of the years, we've won over 12 international marketing awards for our efforts. And we don't go out looking for them. That's not what we're here to do. They've been a result of the hard work that we put in to show our clients that what we can do. And they're judged. It's not a matter of just sending in your entry and you get automatically get an award. These are judged by our industry peers on a blind panel. They have no idea who we are when they send this stuff in. And we won a number of gold awards and silvers for exactly that by showing folks how to look at their marketing and how to get some great results. Because at the end of the day, you've got to be able to justify the expense. And what did you get out of it? Whether if it was hard sales numbers out of it, whether it was an appreciation for employees that have decided to come back. Yeah, all that stuff is on our homepage there. But when you work with us, you're working with an international award-winning marketing company. So we're just not some folks that slept at a Holiday Inn last night.
0: From the (laughs) conversation, I've talked to marketing firms off and on through the years. The part that I really appreciate from this conversation is, one, illustrations of how we approach the problem. I like the method that you guys do to establish rather than say, yeah, we can send out 50,000 pieces. Here you go. And I doubt the outcome would be remotely close to what they were looking for. That's like walking into a doctor's office and say, "Excuse me, I'd like to have an appendectomy today." Go no. What would you like? I'd like to solve the problem. Go cool. So for you guys, I think it's the understanding, the diagnosis, and applying what you know to solve their problem. And I really appreciate the fact that that's what you guys do. And for the folks out there, they go like, "We've got some problems. We'd like to reach out." I would encourage you because the worst thing you can do is not call. The call is at no cost to reach out and say, here's our problem. Here's our budget. What can you do to help? And my sense in this environment, people are fairly emotionally charged right now. And I think that some of the stuff that you do right now will leave a lasting memory for years to come because I think character is defined by what you do in tough times, not in the easy times. Which brings me to my last question, because I've been harassing you guys now for quite some time. Whether looking over the businesses that you've been talking to or looking at your own business and we've gone through this event, what do you think the key one or two takeaways are for your business and going forward from this shutdown COVID event?
2: I'll take it. I think that our biggest learning and we think back about all the hurdles that we've had to leap over as small business. I think that the biggest learning for us is to turn off the noise and really focus on our core values and our core competencies and understand how those can apply as we move forward and really try to spend some brain power to understand what it's going to look like. We might not get it 100% right, and that's okay, but just to be able to turn off the noise and focus on what we have control of and not what we don't, So that I think Paul and I never, ever want to ever feel like a victim. And so to really empower our the great matter between our ears by just understanding what we can control and then bringing that insight to our clients as best we can, even through those moments of darkness, for me, I think that's our biggest, what I think we've taken away from this event. Yeah. Can I add on to that stuff? Of
0: course. Um, you're looking for the last word. No, I don't want for that. Oh, boy. Living dangerously. Ouch,
1: ouch. I got the same boss at home as I got at work, so I, yeah. <laughs> I think patience. If you look at it, that we all survived at post-9-11. Post-9-11 brought about when you're traveling, the changes through TSA. You had to go in and plan a little differently to go through the airport and go on a trip. You had a plan to put your three ounce liquid in a clear bag. And what did that mean for you? I think you just have to plan a little differently and approach things a little differently and be patient and look at it that way and having a good team to surround you through your context because rising tides raise all ships. You want to have a good team to help support you, whether it's through family, through business connections. And even your bank, you want to make sure that you've got a good support system to help you put your money where your mouth is and move forward with stuff, so I'll let stuff it add on to that. I don't
2: want to be accused <laughs> of having the <a> last word <laughs> a
0: wise man wise man
2: <laughs> No, I think you're right, Paul. It sums it up, and just your network of people has have always been important. I felt like before the COVID relationships were kind of out of vogue. And so I'm hopeful because they've always been important for us. I'm hopeful that they'll be back in vogue relationships and really building that network and continuing to understand that people are here to support as much as we want to support those important to us. They want to support us as well. And so. That's how we have to move forward.
0: Well, Stephanie, Paul, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedule. I really do appreciate the approach that you guys take to determining what the client's looking for, and how you can solve the problem. So it's been a joy. Thank you so much for your time. I
1: appreciate you having us on.
0: You betcha. Take care, Thanks, guys. I
2: hope you appreciate it. You right. Bye. bye.